Did you know Chaos and Shadow has moved to Facebook? That's right. We've got Facebook pages for this show and Revelator Paranormal. Like them today. Become a member on our website and gain exclusive access to our Facebook group. There, you can help us investigate the files, dive deeper, and build this community from the ground up. Huge thank you to all of our supporters. Head over to chaosandshadow.com forward slash subscribe and look for the links in the description to join our Facebook. Kyle here. Welcome back to a new episode of the Chaos and Shadow podcast. I am joined here by my co-host, Pagan. Pagan, how are you doing this week? Doing really, really good this week. I am so excited for this case. How are you doing, though? I am doing well. Yes, we are diving into our next part on the Skinwalker Ranch. We, if you missed the last episode, please, please, please go catch up. I'm going to try not to refer back to it all throughout the episode. Uh, It's too easy. In last week's We Sat Down, we shared our initial thoughts on the Skinwalker case. It's a wonderful window area here in Utah. If you're interested in things like Mothman, window areas, if you're Fortean or Keelian and you're thinking and investigating style, definitely pay some mind to Skinwalker Ranch. It recently got catapulted back onto people's radar because of the 2020 show, The Secrets of Skinwalker Ranch, which is just phenomenal. Pagan and I... Uh, both watched that. We gave some thoughts on it last mm-hmm. week. But, Peggy, what do you think? This case is just blowing up. It's bigger and bigger. You peel back a page and there's just so much more information. Absolutely. I You can really understand why there are multiple books on it, why there are shows on it. Because, And it, ultimately, whether a show is doing a one-off episode on it or doing an entire series, it doesn't really matter because there's so much information. There's so much stuff that happens in this place. You really can't um, break it all down into one thing. It's one of the reasons why we decided to do such a long investigation of it, because there's no way we could actually break this down into a single episode or two episodes no no you're you're so right we, we it just couldn't be done that is why if you guys haven't joined already consider becoming a member on the website chaosandshadow.com forward slash subscribe we're inviting our members to take part in the investigation from the bottom up we're inviting people to join us for the legwork we're sitting down we're researching this we've got a bunch of nice sources combined if you want to go and grab that source list for free you can find it through the uh the links for this episode below you can find it over on facebook but we've got some really, really good pieces of text we're pulling from. Let me go over those again really briefly for folks that are just catching this one. Uh, But we've been looking through the Deseret News article that actually launched it all called Frequent Flyers. That's the one that got the Skinwalker Ranch into mainstream consciousness to begin with. We're looking at a great series from the Legends of America. We've been looking at some pieces from History, Vice, and the show, again, is The Secret of Skinwalker Ranch, which came out 2020 on History. Uh, Pagan, you watched the Hunt for the Skinwalker documentary series or documentary that's on Mm -hmm. Amazon Prime and such. Uh, I did. Then I've been diving into the Hunt for the Skinwalker book um, from Comb Color and George Knapp. So we've been really going at it from all different approaches trying to take a good segment of different sources, because I think what Peggy and I have learned in this one is no matter the source, it's not 100% accurate. And I don't think you can even get it 
from a case of that level of secrecy. No, absolutely not. And we're we're very thankful to the history show that we, you know, we did talk about it a little bit in our last one. Um, but we are very thankful to them because they're actually opening the door for kind of um, more insight into for the public to actually kind of learn about Skinwalker. It's not just this closed door behind the scenes kind of investigation that everything now it's more public. It's a lot better. And we actually get to dive deeper into the original casing and uh, continue to see what else comes out of there. Indeed. So with this episode, we are going to be looking into some of the specific phenomena. And I warn, it is not going to be limited exclusively to this episode. And I'm not going to tell you how many total because we're going to play that by ear. Today, we're going to be focusing on the hauntings. But with that, we want to give you some background on the actual land because that plays a role. As, As many people who investigate hauntings know you really want to do your research you want to find out when um piece of property were owned who actually lived there that helps you suss out the myth from what could actually be reality or something beyond which i think is what we're going to see in a lot of skinwalker stuff so again Mm -hmm. go listen to last week that'll be one of the last times i tell you guys you can if you're already familiar with the ranch just dive in with us though if you got the general gist of it in your head welcome aboard in today's episode we'll also attempt to give a bit of a timeline for the ranch the story begins back in 1905 but it hardly ends there it's a phenomenon that's continuing up to current so let's begin with the first owners of the ranch itself kenneth and edith myers they purchased this back in uh, 1905 and proceeded to build a homestead on the property. This homestead was located on the northwest corner of the ranch at the foot of Skinwalker Ridge. Now, they didn't stay there forever, though. They wound up abandoning that homestead for another on the eastern side of the ranch. They were living at that second house by the 1930s, and they ended up staying in the properties until 1987. From there, they continued the ownership, but didn't actually occupy. Now, what's interesting, Pagan, is that during that time, there were no reports of strange occurrences, though their neighbors had them. The Myers themselves never came forward. Yes. And it's very interesting to really kind of think about this, because if you look at the time period, this was a time period when you didn't really talk about anything crazy. You didn't really step out of line. It it was all kind of, you know, keeping up with your appearance for, you know, your neighbor's sake and all this. And this is also a really remote place. So that's really interesting that if you put that mindset of that time period in there and then you mix in with the remoteness, they may also have just not really come across anybody to been like, hey, so this weird thing happened on my ranch this week. You know, kind of like we do now where we we come across a lot more people. Maybe they just really weren't coming across um, enough people to really say, oh, I've got this weird stuff that's happening. It is interesting you point that out because the next owners actually chose the ranch because of its experience extreme remoteness they found Mm -hmm. their own uh small town to be too gossipy for them so (laughs) you could be very right in the idea that 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 these people were not sharing stories amongst themselves in that way um Mm -hmm. there was probably just a more reserved nature again we're talking 1930s and i'm sure we should also consider that the strong lds religious influence in the area would have also likely had a major impact on the ability to discuss it. Because as we know, Mm -hmm. organized religions are very shy of 
hauntings and UFO things and anything like that. So it's really interesting kind of looking at the the things that the Myers did. And one of the things that we had just mentioned that they abandoned their first homestead and moved literally clear across their ranch to the opposite side almost uh, to do that. And coming from a cattle ranching owning kind of perspective background of my own, uh, that's very unheard of. You're not really when you build your home, you don't really want to abandon it because you've already put all that time and effort energy into it. It's kind of wasted energy to build another one across the ranch. So that's a very interesting point that they did abandon their first home. And as far as I know in the research, they didn't go back to that first homestead. That I have not seen anything like that you just said. I did not see anything about them going back. There are some photos that we can include in the vault notes of of what's left of these homesteads on the property. Mm -hmm. Not looking too great. I mean, again, we're talking 100-year-old buildings but that have been abandoned. But it's, like you said, interesting. And I wonder what... inspired them to do the other piece of, you know, whatever housing did it. Why? Why? Was their activity at the other that was so strong that it forced them to? Was it a trouble traversing the ranch? I know that there's been a lot of talk, especially the Hunt for the Skinwalker book about trouble getting around the area, the area being so remote that other folks can't even get on the ranch uh, due to, you know, geographical sort of things. But I don't know. That's a lot to give up a whole house and just start over. It really is. I mean, that's kind of like saying, okay, we're going to pack up in the middle of the night and just move, but you don't really know where you're going to go or what you're going to do. You're just moving. Mm -hmm. So it's very bizarre that you would do that, especially, you know, uh, if you build a home, you're building it to your own specifications, the way that you feel like it should be built and all this. And so just to abandon it just seems very bizarre and out of character for especially homesteaders because homesteaders, they don't like to do anything that can't be put back to use. And especially in this time period, this time period when you can't just run down to the regular hardware store to buy something, you had to repurpose, reuse. And, you know, if it wasn't broken, you fixed it, you know, or if it was broke, you tried to fix it and all that. So it's just very bizarre behavior. Just very weird. I agree. You know, looking at it uh, again, like when you said it the first time about them moving properties and such or actual homes, I didn't think it so odd at first. But looking at the dates again, this is 1905 and nine. So by 1905, they had the first house built. It was by 1930 mm-hmm. that they had the second. So why? What was that change? Like, what, that's really fast. So in under 25 yeah. years. And like you said, this is a time when mm-hmm. you can't go to like your local hardware shop to just get a ton of replacements. I don't. It must have been. It must have been something significant is all I can say, because we don't know much. So an emphasis on the Myers piece, it's speculation. We can't say yes. for sure. What we can say, though, is that according to the Hunt for the Skinwalker book, the land in the whole Uinta Basin has a lot of troubling things to it. What we mentioned before was that this land is said to have been cursed by the Navajo. Mm -hmm. So the Navajo and the Ute tribes were here, and the Utes were siding with the United States government, uh, and they were actually taking the Navajo as slaves. 
So the Navajo cursed mm-hmm. the land, cursed the Utes, and said that this was the path of the Skinwalker. More details on the Skinwalker in future episodes. We're going to dive deep into that zone thing. But basically mm-hmm. putting a very evil curse on this land to the degree, if you're someone that comes from a more Christian background, it would be like someone saying, you know, I invoke that this land be covered by demons, like real evil, evil demons, not TV ones, but like grr, real scary. <laughs> I grr, I grr. Um, but really, this was bad. This was very, very bad. What The, the, the curse that was put yes. there it was no joke to the extent that the people still living in the area now say do not go and walk at night. It is very bad. I mean, I can't mm-hmm. Stress it enough. So with it that really is. in mind, there is something worse in that book, in my opinion. It's a true, it's it's the true middle finger that our government likes to do, which is that Buffalo soldiers, aka African American soldiers that were, you know, fighting in these battles, these Buffalo soldiers, as the Native Americans were dubbing them, were buried on some of this Uinta Basin land. And then our government built homes for the Native Americans over top of those graves, which I wrote in the notes is some sort of twisted, like racist irony, because how offensive to manipulate all of those groups and then have some Mm -hmm. sort of like ethical, moral, spiritual middle finger on top, because we all know that well, we, we respect that a lot of Native Americans have traditions with their burial grounds. Most all of us do. So mm-hmm. to build, ugh, that's gross. But talk about maybe reasons for the land to be haunted. Now we have people yes. that even believe in how bad that is being forced to live in it. Absolutely. And, you know, you already have the, the Native American curse that's there. And then you have the deaths of these buffalo soldiers in the graves and everything else. And so now you kind of have to also bring in the interesting question that I don't think you and I ever made this correlation because it just now kind of popped in my brain is what were the spiritual aspects of these, you know, African-Americans that were actually fighting with the U.S. soldiers? What were their kind of things? Did they actually practice anything from their homeland? Did they practice any sort of voodoo and all that? So would their spirits have also brought about that kind of energy in addition to the curse that's already there? I have an interesting answer for that that I can only tell you guys briefly because I'm not versed on it. Maybe for the next thing, we'll get into this in some degree. Uh, They said a lot of the Buffalo soldiers were actually Masonic. They they had a very strong Freemason background to them, which... Interesting. Right. I, as a third degree Mason, uh, at one point, I did my thing and I left due to just inactivity, but... Interesting to hear that. Now, to be a Freemason, you can have you have to have a religion. They're not specific as to what type. More than likely, mm-hmm. you know, these, they, they got in under a Christian approach because, again, America is mm-hmm. in the 1930s. To your point, though, what kind of mysticism were they already bringing in mind because of transplanted spirituality? You know, things that made it across the Atlantic. But then also, because we know that stuff stays in families, right? That that gets Mm -hmm. passed down generation to generation. So um, bring it over across the Atlantic. And then you combine it with a a Masonic order, which kind of amplifies the secrecy, the creativity in magic, Mm -hmm. the ceremonial magic aspect. And that, Pagan, if you have seen the big old Freemason logo that sits out on the property. Yeah. For those that didn't notice that before, there is a Masonic uh, compass and square carved in there. They say that is a potentiality of where that came from, was the Buffalo soldiers in the area may have put that on the land as a protective 
thing. Now, as a Mason, I the, the compass and square to me is not necessarily a protective sigil. It's it could be, I suppose, if you if if that is your religion, it would be like putting a cross on something. Um, but I mean, by hmm. itself, it's not inherently a protective sigil. I don't know. I'm maybe to them being a Mason actually was a kind of protective thing for them. So, you know, it's kind of, we have talked so much on the show before about sigils and everything else. And so maybe it was kind of a protective sigil to them. And they, they really felt like the, the land needed to be blessed in a way. And so that's why they put that there. So that's really interesting to kind of think about. Um, but truth be told, I, you know, it, it's still a terrible thing. There's so much terribleness that comes with that. And when we actually get into, you know, discussing the lore of the Skinwalker, we're probably going to get into some more of that terrible history. But ultimately, it's our government was bad. They did yeah. terrible things they shouldn't have done. And I think that land has paid for it. They've paid in a lot of blood for it. Yes, it's uh, like I said, I just saw that as extra super twisted being the, mm -hmm. in American culture. And again, I don't mean to make light of any of this. If I say these in any wrong ways, I hope listeners out there know I mean no disrespect when I say that we we as Americans in our pop culture minds know that Native Americans are super. We, we say, quote, it's a, a Native American burial ground. Ooh, like that's a thing, right? You've, you've built a house mm -hmm. on a burial ground. And it's become such a thing. So to hear this in like hindsight that Native Americans were given houses built on graves just feels so, so twisted and gross. Uh, it I does. can't help but then wonder the amplification of it all. We got cursed land. We got burial things in it. We got Masonic images there that... I'm not trying to imply any sort of Illuminati connection thing. I'm not that sort of guy. You got to go somewhere else for those conspiracy theories. But I do believe <laughs> kind of what Pagan was saying a second ago. I think that any sort of sigil that you imbue with power can have meaning. Mm -hmm. um, so the fact that they're carving any sort of protection sigil into the ground, especially a sigil that is not at all native to Utah. It is very much from Europe. So to be carving that sort of stuff into the ground I guess the speculation here is, are they carving it because of some sort of energy in the area that they were trying to protect against? And if so, what does carving a sigil from Europe do to something that's causing, you know, strife oh, and confusion yeah. in this day and age do? What does... What happens when they all I, overlap? Mm -hmm. I really do feel like there would be some serious conflicting energies happening. And I think that with everything that's already happened, that happened in the past, and then you mix those conflicting energies, and then you mix the stuff that comes, you know, later on in the future from that timeline uh it gets very very mixed and muddy to where you're like i don't know what energy this is but it just does not feel good and it's kind of you end up with like an oil and water kind of situation which you just is not good it's really not good in any way shape or form <laughs> i agree i want to say you and i may have talked about that when we interviewed it was in the interview or around we talked to michelle bell and jay We'd also mm -hmm. brought up around that time that churches are an area that tend to attract a lot of elemental activity to them, maybe because yes. it's, you know, kind of an affront to the land in the sense that you're planting down something new. You're, you're really just jabbing a flag into someone's front lawn being like, this is now mine. And what mm -hmm. what that what those ripple waves do to energies in those areas. Uh, again, to anyone listening to this, this is a great time to start exploring the connectivity behind 
traditional hauntings to other things. So in addition, Mm -hmm. around this time in the 1950s, it was noted that the Uinta Basin was experiencing numerous reports of flying objects in the sky, not planes, so unidentified, which means now we're bringing in the idea of lights in the sky, UFOs. Could it be could it be something government? Because we are out there in, in you know, these deserty areas where people tried things. Many different ideas floated around. But I recently got a hold of the book, um, the Utah UFO display. So I'm very excited. Mm-hmm. That is a book that covers a lot of these sightings in detail. I'm very excited to start opening those pages because I'm going to report back on what those mean. But yeah, we're taking cursed land, we're taking burial grounds now to dump in a ton of UFO sightings on top of it. <laughs> it like I said, it ends up with this really muddied kind of mysterious kind of energy that just is not good in any way, shape or form. So, you know, you've got people now that are living on this ranch. you got the Myers that are living there that are still there on the, during the 1950s. And this is happening, not to mention all the past energy that's there. They were bound to have to experience something. It does Just, seem like it, it. It seems like they did. And it seems like it was probably one of those things of we can't tell anybody because they think we're nuts. And so, again, this is all speculation. This is just, you know, my opinions of probably what happened. Um, we we don't really know because, again, the Myers never did speak out about it. Uh, the only, t- yeah, the only thing they really said um, was just in the transfer of land to the Shermans um, was don't dig on the property. Yeah, I need to I need to go in there and get those out. There were a couple strange clauses, apparently, as I get into the hunt for the skin walker book i believe it's where i've come across this that there were some strange clauses in there uh in the in the deed transfer where it says don't dig on the land we're gonna get to that in the future for sure because that's an ominous that is an ominous statement that will rear its head multiple times Mm -hmm. but we I, i i'm really curious to see if anyone out there that's a listener if you find anything related to kenneth or edith myers commenting about this strangeness around skinwalker ranch please 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 get in touch uh, we always encourage people to do so but especially while we're doing these big case studies together um, you can send that to chaos and shadow podcast at gmail.com would be great go to the website chaos and let us know if you find anything there and pagan can i also chime in that if you guys have access to any sort of ancestry uh, programs like that or w- website software that you can dig up deeds and all that. If you could find mm-hmm. anything like that, we're really struggling uh, to get firsthand accounts of these transfers of land. Yes, definitely. Like if you have an Ancestry.com thing or any sort of those kind of uh, abilities to do that and you can get a digital copy of that, that would be great. We would very much appreciate it. Yeah, it's one of our goals for um, for 2021 to both get access to more of that software, but to um, dive a bit deeper, especially on this case, to try and dig some of those things up. If I if I mm-hmm. get the opportunity to head out that way, because again, I'm in Salt Lake City. This is about a three hour drive. It's a little questionable in the winter because there's mountain passes involved. So it's hit and miss. But um, yeah, I, I'd love to try and, and dig some of this up so we know for sure. Because our next thing that we need to cover here is the Sherman family. We've talked about them, but let's get some more detail. 
So Mm -hmm. the Sherman family, well, let me take a backtrack. So the Myers vacated that ranch in 1987, like I said, which means it stood empty for seven years before it was purchased by Terry and Gwen Sherman in 1994. They moved in Mm -hmm. with their two kids and livestock. Uh, They were surprised to find the land in the condition it was. It was, again, abandoned for seven years, pretty decrepit. Houses not looking great in certain ways. There was uh, a lot of debris and such that needed cleaned up. And mm-hmm. they, beyond that, they when they brought these livestock on, this was some real prize livestock, too. So this was very yes. precious to them. It was very big money-making stuff. And the reason I want to emphasize that is we say they moved to Skinwalker Ranch from a small town to get away from gossip. They seem to be really invested in the idea of staying away from others. They wanted this to be their secluded land for just them, the, the, the husband, the wife, the two kids, and that livestock. And live there in peace, mm-hmm. make a lot of money. But as they discovered, it wasn't so simple. One of the first things they noticed that was super weird was the amount of deadbolts and locks on things. So doors had locks on both sides, windows Mm -hmm. had locks, cabinets in the kitchen had locks. They had uh, big posts out in the yard. They had dog pens out there. Like they were truly trying to protect the homestead from invasion. (laughs) When you think of it, all of this. And so the weirdest aspect of this when I read it was there was the deadbolt locks on the kitchen cabinets. Yeah. Like, what are you trying to keep out of your cabinets that you have to put a deadbolt on it? Seriously. And later on, we would find out one of the reasons why and that stuff wouldn't stay in those cabinets. And that's why they had to be deadbolted. And so it was just very bizarre that, you know, you move on to a ranch and you think, oh, hey, this is a beautiful picturesque home. I get to have my cows and my livestock and it's going to be great. And I'm going to, you know, this is my dream space. And you move in and there's all these deadbolts everywhere. And there's these big iron chains in the backyard, in the front yard, and these big heavy that are you know deep in the earth and you're just like what the hell were y'all doing back there (laughs) like honestly i would if i was in that case i would literally have to call the previous owners and say why was this like this and maybe they did i don't know um but ultimately it was a peculiar space for them it was and a second ago i said the word invasion and it comes to mind that when you're out on these 500 and some acres of land and you're getting strange activity, it makes sense that you feel like you're being actually attacked or having to to defend yourself. I mean, again, we're talking, they were they were putting out pens and, and fences for guard dogs, big, big dogs that they were using to keep things away from the house. Uh-huh. Mm, it just gets weird. Like you said, they had the, the locks in the kitchen to actually keep groceries in the cabinets because, as Gwen Sherman found out, there would be times where she would come back, she would put groceries away, leave the room, and then whoosh, it's all back out on the table where she first sat it. They had issues mm-hmm. with their salt and pepper shakers so much to the degree they got to shaking them in their hands before they actually uh, put it on their food because the ingredients inside would just switch. So you got a salt shaker that now has pepper in it on random occasion. That's These... weird. <laughs> yeah. That is weird. <laughs> I, you know, I've, I've looked into quite a few paranormal cases and haunting cases, and that's the 
first time I've ever heard of those kind of things happening. No, I, I, I've heard of, you know, like you set your keys down and then it ends up in a different spot mm-hmm. kind of stuff. But having your groceries put back, and, and I don't know, were they put back in the same way they were set on the table? Do we know? I just heard sat back on the kitchen table. So, so that what... would be really interesting to know if it was set back in the same manner. It would be interesting indeed. Now, uh, people... <laughs> would call out here at the same time that they did have two about teenagers in the house. Uh, I think their one was 10 when they moved in. And I Mm -hmm. remember how old the other was. I know he was just a teen. I I think it was like late teenage years. But uh, anyway, so they had two kids that you could say might be a little mischievous and causing trouble around there. But this is where it gets crazier. So keep in mind, ranch work being really difficult. We're talking heavy objects that are getting moved around now. Because at mm-hmm. one point, Terry Sherman left a post digger to return to the house. Going back, found out the post digger was gone. Comes back, gets furious about it, only to find that it had just been it had been moved around. They, I believe, Gwen had said that the kids were in the house at the time. No one had left to go out there. So mm-hmm. we're seeing heavy objects move around, increasing beyond that because water hoses, shovels, all, anything that Terry was using to kind of mend property, fix fences, do whatever needed to be done around there. It sounds like this paranormal activity would just take things from him. You know, he would go back to the house to eat or whatever it would be and comes mm-hmm. back and it's all moved around. Heavy items without tire tracks, without you know, imprints of any sort of theft that would be obvious. And I mean, I think I think this man, T- Terry, who is also of the LDS faith, was struggling to grapple with it, is my take. He's a guy that, again, mm-hmm. very much in it to make money, very much in it for the seclusion. Doesn't sound like a guy that enjoys... Um, he sounds like he's just down to the brass tacks of it. So this sort of moving around on him, all these things disappearing, not appealing to him in the slightest. Oh, God, that would be stressful to because you figure a post hole digger, if it's the, you know, dual shovel post hole uh-huh. diggers, those, you know, for the time period probably weren't super expensive. Well, let me rephrase this. I don't know how expensive they were then. They're not super expensive now. But if it's a post hole driver, those things weigh almost 80 to 100 pounds. They're very heavy and they're also not cheap. They they run anywhere between $50 to $100, uh, depending on what you're looking at. So they're not cheap in today's world and they probably wouldn't be very cheap back then either. So if that's the case and these things are getting moved around and nobody's there to do it, I'm, I'm presuming the, the Shermans also probably didn't have ranch hands. I, w- I would presume it was just them doing the work. Yep, that's, and, I've not heard of any ranch hands yeah so if that's the case then and all this stuff is getting moved around especially if it's that post hole driver that's getting moved around um if you're not used to lifting that kind of weight um you'd drag it and there would be drag marks and there wasn't so that's very interesting not to mention extremely frustrating especially if stuff would go missing and or it would just be moved that's as a homesteader of any sort whether it be cattle rancher or you know farmer 
or whatever it may be, that's a lot of lost time trying to go and find that. Yes. And if yes. you're having to lose time to do that, that's, you know, you need to take care of your animals. You got to take care of your home. You got to make sure the fencing's secure. And by the time you get done with your list and you're having to spend two to three hours looking for your shit, <laughs> that gets extremely time consuming and very frustrating. So my heart kind of goes out to Terry because, man, I feel you. <laughs> yeah. It, it is not, yeah, for anyone that's not familiar with any kind of uh, farming lifestyle, again, what I said when I started this off was these things are heavy. <laughs> They're not mm-hmm. a lot of this equipment when you're talking about moving posts around, stuff like that. It's, it's, it's a lot of work, which is demonstrated very well in this next bit here, because fixing up these fences, Terry had 100 metal poles uh task the kids with moving them to certain places on the ranch so these big poles are just delivered in a pile in the front yard i believe it was and you guys Mm -hmm. have seen big stacks these they're pretty obvious and something you'll note is they tend to leave damage on the ground underneath because you got a lot of stuff delivered it weighs a lot so you're getting indentations all that stuff So he tells the kids to go do this. Comes back later. Kids claimed they actually moved all the poles where they needed to be. But Terry was not happy to have found them back in the front yard. So so he, you know, is tasking the kids. He's going off doing his thing. They are working, moving these things all around. Spent the entire morning doing it. They get back. They start doing their own thing in the house, maybe cleaning up, whatever. Terry gets in, mm-hmm. only to yell at them for the poles being back in the front yard, but not where they originally were. They were in a whole new pile. So the important thing to take away from this weird little story is... These hundred metal poles would have taken a ton of time to move and Mm -hmm. a ton of labor to move because of how heavy they were. That it wouldn't make sense as a good prank to move them across the yard and then have to go and move them to their final destination again. Like as a kid, I don't know about you, Pagan, but I barely had the energy for pranks, let alone pranks that would require me to do extra work on top of the first job that was required. (laughs) Honestly and truly, I have moved fence posts. They're not fun to move. They actually tear up your hands because they're not, you know, smooth cut metal. They're actually pretty rough um, because they're supposed to be fence posts. You're not going to actually be out there touching them all the time. So um, to move a hundred of those would take several hours. And especially if it's just the kids doing it, you figure they're carrying maybe two to five at the very very most. Uh, but these weigh, you know, a good five to 10 pounds minimum each. And so by the time you get done with all of that and you move all of them there and then they're moved back, that would have been an all day task ultimately to pull off this prank. So yeah, no, I, I don't buy that it was the kids that did it. I really believe that there was something else that was doing it. Pagan's implication that math there's them carrying them doing about like somewhere close to 33 trips of carrying these poles around for LOL sake to move them from one pile to another to only then get yelled at to then have to move them again, which I I, 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 listen, we all did stupid (laughs) stuff in our teenage years, but I don't think many of our stupid things, I, I search your heart, how many of them were stacked against you like that? Like that just doesn't fit the teenage mo and what this what this says is that whatever this entity whatever this phenomena is that we're talking about is also strong enough to move 
a massive pile of 100 metal poles around and then Mm -hmm. relocate them at will. Yeah, it's very bizarre stuff that went on there. And, you know, as a child who moved these poles, I would not want to move them again. It was bad enough having to move them in one direction to wherever they were supposed to go because you knew ultimately either later that day or the next day, you would have to be stringing the wire to actually fix that fence along with whoever you were working with. So, yet, yeah, no, I as a kid who's moved them, I would never move them twice. Uh-uh. To, let alone to three times to, you know, if you figure they moved them once and then decided, oh, hey, well, that wasn't fun enough. Let's go move them back, but not where they were and trick mom and dad. Uh, that's insane. <laughs> that's completely insane. Nobody would do that in their right mind. I don't care how bored you are in the middle of nowhere. You still wouldn't do it. You would go find something else to do because something else would be a lot more entertaining than that. Uh, that's a lot of physical hard labor to do. So ultimately, my 100% thing is it was not the kids because kids wouldn't do that. No, I don't think so. I can't see it Mm -mm. happening. And as we get to kind of the conclusion of this week, we'll find that things don't even end there, Pagan. Not only is this thing moving poles around the property, but it finally started to rear its head in a more human way, where Terry began hearing voices speaking unfamiliar languages. So what's really weird is when we hear EVPs, when we hear noises, we hear whispers, a lot of people say, well, I heard it over my shoulder. It came from that direction. The direction Mm -hmm. is not usually 25 feet above you in the air because, well, actually, I don't know why because, but I'll tell you in this case, Terry said it was about 25 feet above him and the dogs that were with him were going ballistic. Let us remember that this is in the the, the mid-90s here when the Shermans are on the Mm -hmm. ranch, that they are out in the middle of basically nowhere. So it's not like just, quote, kids down the street yelling or something like that. But instead, being out in a very starlit sky sort of area, being able to look up, see nothing, but yet hear these strange, unfamiliar words. Not only that, that's just very strange to that. Okay, first of all, to have voices above you and there's nothing there is weird. That is weird. Okay. And being in such an open area where it's about 25 feet above him Mm -hmm. and you can't see anything, but the dogs are going crazy. And we all know that animals pick up on paranormal activity. But I have never, ever, in any case where you're out in the open and you hear voices above you. And so anybody who's ever actually looked at Skinwalker, Skinwalker Ranch doesn't have a whole lot of trees. It's mostly pretty flat land um, right up against the uh, Unita Basin. So you have this basin that's there, which is basically a plateau kind of mountain. And then, you know, you're out there working on the ranch and there's not really many trees about, I mean, there's few, but there's not a whole lot so if he's out in the middle of nowhere and he's got no trees around him and you're hearing these voices come from above you and you're looking and you're looking your dogs are going crazy and there's nothing there that would be pretty terrifying i agree I, I couldn't agree. imagine that. We will see as we continue our episodes. This is a fantastic part to begin wrapping this one up because next week we are going to dive in to some of the UFO activity that happens on the ranch. And I hope you guys can already make that connection between the lights in the sky, the voices in the sky, because 
Skinwalker Ranch, you never disappoint. <laughs> never. <laughs> the the stories compiled are all over the place. They range from again poltergeist-like activity that we described in today's episode, UFO activity that we're going to try and touch on next week. We're going to be covering cattle mutilations, cryptids, and more because Skinwalker mm-hmm. Ranch in itself seems to be a place that harbors a very interesting intelligence of some kind. And I will say intelligence because it, it being the culmination of these phenomena, avoid being captured. They avoid easy reporting. They avoid repeating the same sighting. Anything mm-hmm. that makes them predictable is in their naughty list. You know, they, they, this spirit, this entity, this conscious whatever is masterful at always poking from a new direction, always presenting a new challenge. And I think the UFOs are going to get even crazier. I'm so excited. Oh, they really are. They are going to get so amazing. And, you know, it's so funny that we we have to kind of break this case down like this because of the fact that, again, like we said at the start of it, there's no way we could fit all of this in one to two episodes. There's so much evidence that we just can't even begin to cover. And, you know, as we continue this and we continue to look at this, there's still more hauntings stuff that does happen around those homesteads still they're still still now yeah right now it still happens it's very bizarre very strange and then there's still more ufo stuff that happens more cryptid stuff it never has stopped this is not just past case stuff this is still currently happening Mm -hmm. so it's very interesting it really is there is an implication uh that some of this stuff slowed down a bit in the i guess the 2000s when the ranch was kind of changing hands a couple times as we conclude this one let's give him a little bit more of the timeline here to say Mm -hmm. that uh terry and gwen sherman post a piece in the desert well they get a piece about them in the deseret news uh out of salt lake city big newspaper here and that's in the, I think that's a 94 piece that comes out. Uh, let me confirm that actually while I have it right here. Two seconds. That piece was published in 1996. Good thing I can correct that. So we'll have that in the show notes for you guys. But good, good read because you'll see how afraid this family is when all this is going on or how, how just jarring it is to the Shermans. Because again, they have it from 1994 to 1996. This piece is Mm -hmm. published in 96, which is actually how they got rid of the ranch. They wanted this activity to stop. It was interfering with their lives. It was interfering with their money, as we'll get to. But big problem. So Robert Bigelow, Mm -hmm. millionaire investor, do more on him in the future, ends up grabbing it in 1996 and owns it to 2016. And during that time, they study the ranch intensely. He actually tries to do some stuff and get MUFON involved, um, decides to go with the National Institute of Discovery Science, NIDS, which he creates and owns. Mm -hmm. And then they part ways with it uh, in, in 2016 to Brandon Fugel. So yes, that's the one that you see on the TV show now. Brandon's the one that opens the ranch up so people can can start seeing these experiments with it, seeing the strangeness. Yes. All that being said, absolutely. In the show, I believe they mention how there's still sometimes where they'll be alone in that one of the houses there, one of the command centers, and there's mm-hmm. voices that are yelled at them, like just people yell their name, and there's no one there. It's just them in the command center. Yes. And they've also stated on the show that if they go to 
Uh, I believe it's homestead number two and they go inside the house. Uh, A lot of times they will get the feeling that they're not supposed to be there and they will sometimes even hear somebody shouting at them to get out. Oh, yeah. So it's very interesting that the hauntings still happen at the homesteads and technically all over the ranch. There's still weird stuff that happens. It really is. It's it's wild. Please, please, please continue to join us for this amazing investigation. Skinwalker Ranch is us trying something totally new. Instead of doing cases on a weekly basis, this has been really, really fun to dive into with our listeners out there to hand in hand investigate this stuff because there are a lot of sources. There are sources that take a mm-hmm. while to digest as well. So we're hoping that this is a great format for you guys to get involved, to get invested in the case. Skinwalker's got something for everyone from you know ghosts, UFOs, and beyond. This is is a great time to start exploring pardon me what window areas actually are these zones where a lot of this happens skinwalker ranch kind of writes the book on uh on on window areas if you've been interested in the mothman in the past you'll see a lot of connections to keely and stuff like those weird Mm -hmm. zones of fear like you mentioned like the need to just run away out of the blue Mm. we'll dive into yes, it more. indeed. stick with us gang um something that would mean the world to us that is totally free to all of you is if you would share this podcast with your friends also if you're someone that's involved with any kind of social media platforms like reddit and beyond if you're interested in sharing the podcast in places that it is uh, within the rules that you're allowed to um sharing these episodes just means an absolute ton to us because that helps us just grow every listener allows us to do more 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 as we mentioned earlier mm-hmm. we really want to turn this uh this this podcast into something that has the reach financially and such that we can dive into firsthand documents in a way that we currently can't. So if you're interested in pledging and becoming a member, please go over to the website chaosandshadow.com forward slash subscribe. There you can become a member, get access to our exclusive Facebook group, which is where we're meeting to do these investigative things. Uh, Over there, you can get cool perks. You can get discounts to our occult shop featuring incense blends, candles, and more. We've got a lot going on over there. And Pagan has been killing it with the blog. 2021 is going to be amazing. Pagan, I am just so Mm -hmm. excited. We, you have just been doing so much good stuff over there. So I would like to do a huge thank you to you for all of your efforts in this. Uh, You're an amazing co-host to have. And to the listeners out there, the people that are supporting and contributing currently, you guys are amazing for enabling us to do this. So thank you, thank you, thank you, one and all. Pagan, what do you say? Leave them for this week. Let's do it. And we will see you all next week. Join us again for us to talk about the Skinwalker UFO phenomena. Indeed. And go subscribe to everything in the notes below. If you're on a podcast or listening to this elsewhere, we have everything in the description. So until next week, you all have a good, safe time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.